to episode 12 of Biohacking with Brittany. Super stoked that you're here and that you're listening. Today we have on Daniel Stone, who is an expert in all things nootropics. So he runs his company called Neurotech, which sells nootropics out of Australia. And I've actually tried them. I tried them last year and they were great. And we kind of just get into what are nootropics versus smart drugs that were big in the 90s and 80s and and prior to that, the different types of nootropics, what you can use them for, and just like all around that type of thing. And it's really interesting because nootropics have really taken off in the last year. I have a bunch of brands that I actually recommend to people now, which I can link in the show notes that are very well-made and not cheap and not synthetic ingredients that are actually well-blended. And these are great because they actually make a difference during your day. So especially if they do have caffeine in them, they'll have other compounds in them like L-theanine, which will help balance out the caffeine kind of energy spurt and drop that a lot of people witness and have. And just like different ingredients like that are really well-rounded and supportive for brain health, which is super amazing that the supplement industry and the health industry is kind of going into that area, which I feel like in the last 10 years wasn't necessarily a big focus for the supplement industry. So it's kind of cool just to like watch the trends, I think. And it'll be interesting to see where nootropics go next year and the year after and kind of their trend because there's so many different types now and you can like take them in powder form as a drink with water. You can put them in coffee and blend them and blend them into bulletproof coffee. You can do it in like capsules. There's so many different ways now. So it's, it's become very interesting and quite a hot topic. So yeah, that's what we get in today with Daniel Stone. And he is a, just a well-rounded biohacker who knows a lot. And he really shares about his different daily practices that keep him healthy, helping him reach optimal health and just like be the best biohacker that he can. So stay tuned. There's a lot of info in this one. And we kind of go through morning routine and sleep and some other things as well. So it's, it's a really great one. So let me know what you think. Subscribe and yeah, enjoy the episode. Okay, great. So I know you are a expert at nootropics and all of that. So for mm-hmm. everybody listening who has no idea what a nootropic or smart drug is, as some people call it, how would you describe it? Yeah. So the first thing I'd say is it's useful to not think about it as smart drugs. I mean, that's a bit of a a distinction there, but realistically, a nootropic, the way we look at it, is anything which can help your brain function, so your memory, focus, motivation, without any negative downsides. So there's lots of things out there. The most common one is caffeine. So everyone uses caffeine. Everyone understands that it can help you wake up, help you feel more alert. But that's really just one of them, one of the many ones that are out there. So what we do is just look at all of the ones out there, all the different ones, and try and combine them together. So it's a very broad term, essentially, like I was saying, anything that can help your brain function in any way that is useful for you, that's the definition we go by for a nootropic. And so how is that different from a smart drug? So smart drugs, if you're looking on the lines of, say, your Ritalin, so your study drugs, they do work, but it's not generally without side effects. So that's one of the main things. I mean, we've used them personally. We know a lot of people have used them and they work really well, but they have the downsides and side effects. It's not a cumulative healthy approach. You're really just yo-yoing between being overly productive and then forcing your body to have to recover. So the cumulative effects aren't really worthwhile in the long run. 
Oh, I see. So caffeine, though, would be considered a nootropic over a smart drug, even though caffeine has negative side effects when it wears off. Yeah, so it has the habit-forming side effects. That's one of the, the gray area ones. So there's a bit of leeway depending on what your goals are. But say we say caffeine, we count caffeine as a nootropic because it has the benefit you want. And there's not that many side effects if you use it within the right doses other than the habit-forming things. So you want to try and limit how often you're using it, like most things. Yeah, fair enough. So how did you get into nootropics in the first place? So I got into it through my personal need, really. So I was at uni going through the whole studying for exams, using the study drugs and things and realizing, like I was saying, that they work for a very short term use. It's like a yo-yo. So you get overly productive for one day, but then there's a bit of a, like a come down for the next day. So it's not sustainable. So I really dug into it by necessity, looking into what can I do to make myself switch on, have one of those good days where everything you say is really good. Everything you write down is actually really good work. And you look at it and go, wow, this is good. How could I do that consistently? So I got into the area, started doing the research, looking at the literature and stumbled across a couple of the main ones. The first kind of ones I got into were the general ones. So the L-theanine, which just stacks really well with caffeine. So it takes the edge off, helps you be a little bit calmer, less jittery. And from there, it really snowballed into trying all the other ones, realizing there's so much potential in this area. There's so much that you can stack together that have different effects that cumulative is much better than anything on their own. And yeah, from there, just got further and further into it, tried more and realized there's so much potential in here. Let's get it out there and share it with people. Yeah, no, definitely. So what were the drugs that you were like using in university that you tried that didn't really work well for you? Yeah, so all the standard ones you see people using, so Ritalin or methylphenidate, modafinil was probably the most common one. And the other ones like dextroamphetamine, which is similar to Ritalin. They work really well, but they're almost too strong that your body needs time to recover afterwards. And that really counteracts the effect if you're going for more than one day's worth of work. Yeah, definitely. So I've tried Adderall a couple of times yeah. when I was in university and it was pretty popular actually. But what I found was was a few things like one, I, I didn't eat at all when I had it. So I would, <laughs> I would go the whole day without eating, which is obviously not a good thing all the time. And then mm-hmm. as well is you get so hyper-focused, which is the good thing, but you become hyper-focused on something that is not productive, then yes. you stay there. <laughs> so I realize that. Right? Well. You take it and you're like, oh, I'm going to just, I'll get ready to do some study today. I'll go, uh, I'll do some washing, some cleaning. Like, oh, it's been three hours. Yeah. No, exactly. Like you log onto Facebook and then you're screwed for the whole day because it's just like this tunnel that you got into, right? So if you can guide it really well, it's really helpful, but that's another skill on its own. Yeah, exactly. And they're very strong and they have quite the come down effect. And I also think they're quite addictive as well. So there's a lot of issues in that area. Yeah, I definitely didn't really dabble too much in it. I also just found I didn't really need it. Like caffeine has always kind of been enough for me. So it's interesting. So, you know, you started experimenting with these different ones and then you created your own nootropic brand and were students like the big people that you were kind of selling to, like the big, your big audience? Well, that that was our original intention, mainly because we were in that area. So we were at uni, well, just as we finished uni is when we started the company. So we're like, we know people are using these things. So we're going to make something for them. So that was our initial market. So we put together all the ones we thought would be awesome for like focusing in for an intense period, not necessarily for the health aspect. And we like went and made that for them, pushed it out and tried to sell it that way, which was our first interesting avenue. 
And then after that, we've actually gone and changed it now. So we've discontinued the first product because of a, a few issues like within the product design and feedback we're getting from people. And we're now we're reassessing and we're going to launch some new ones soon. Cool. So for people who are looking to start with nootropics as an alternative to like obviously harder drugs or just for productivity in the first place, like where would you suggest they start? Like how do people find it? What do they look for? Yeah. So as I was saying before, there's a lot of the most common and generally most helpful, most effective ones. So things like L-theanine. But the first thing I tell people is you really want to understand what do you want? Do you want memory? Do you want focus? Or do you want better like motivation? Because there's, there's different ones for different things. Ideally, you probably want a combination of all three. We need to understand why you're adding them in because there's no point adding too much in and then not getting the effects you want. But if I was going to recommend anything to anyone, it would be start with caffeine and L-theanine just so you can get the wakefulness effects and cut the edge off of the caffeine. Just lets you be a little bit less stressed almost. And then something to reduce your stress effect to add in like a rhodiola or a ginseng, which can lower your cortisol response. Therefore, you'd be less stressed. You'd feel a little bit calmer and clear-headed. And then you possibly want to add in something else for the long term. So maybe a lion's mane, the mushroom. That really helps with the, the cumulative effects. So that's a BDNF, so brain-derived neurofactor. It helps increase that. So it actually helps you form neural connections faster. So whatever you're learning, you'll be much quicker to actually learn it and put it into practice and memorize it. So that's probably where I'd start. Some L-theanine, some kind of stressing, so rhodiola or uh, ginseng, and then some kind of thing to help your actual memories of lion's pain. Interesting. Even just found success with having a mushroom blend powder and mixing that into my coffee in the morning. And then with my first meal, usually because I fast, it's around 12 or 1, I'll have a B vitamin complex Mm -hmm. because of the B vitamins and the effect that it has on energy in the brain. And even just like that little, you know, three combo right there, I can feel pretty good and energized for the day. Yeah, I mean, that's great. Realistically, you'll get most of the effects. It's the 80-20 rule, which applies to like most things. I'm sure you're aware. Like, You'll get most of the effect from a few of the key things that you need. So like you're saying, the mushrooms are great. I've been looking into them and using them myself a lot more. Something we want to incorporate into our products more as well. But they're, they're great for a lot of things. And there's a few different ones out there that you would have heard of. And like you're saying, fasting's also good. It's not a nootropic, but it's also incredibly helpful. And things like your B vitamins just help with everything, your energy as well. So I reckon you're on something good there, but it's all about what works for you as well. So it's a lot about understanding yourself, deciding what works, and then trying to figure out how you can adjust it to make it even better. Yeah, exactly. There's like the energy you need for the day-to-day, and then there's the energy you need when you're actually working really hard on something and you have to produce a lot of outcome, which is different, right? And like you said, like there's different things that you can take that produce those effects. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So I know that you intermittent fast, right? So what does your fasting kind of look like for yourself? Yeah, so I follow not a keto, but a low-carb diet. I've tried the keto. It doesn't work that well for me. I just get very sore and a bit lethargic. So I've brought in carbs, but I generally try and constrict them to the evening. So my fasting is 16 to 20 hours a day. So I generally eat my last meal 5, 5.30 in the evening and then fast until maybe 2 or something the next day, depending on schedules and things. But I find that works very well for me. So having carbs late for my last meal, and then fasting through the morning, sometimes having like a, a bulletproof coffee or a black coffee in the morning, 
and then doing that most days of the week. So how did you get into fasting? Because I know with a lot of people who have never fasted before, the idea of skipping breakfast and not eating till late in the afternoon is like terrifying. They feel like they wake up super hungry and the first thing they do is like fix themselves, you know, a cup of coffee and a bowl of cereal with fruit and all of these things. So like, I think the transition into fasting can be very daunting for some people. So what type of advice would you give to those people? I was in the same boat the first time. I'm like, people are fasting for 20 hours a day. How the hell can you do that? But when I tried it, it was hard at the start as well. But it's really, I think you have to understand why you want to do it. The more you understand the benefits and where you can reason it to yourself, the more likely you are to stick to it. That's what I did. I, mean, I went through, I made like the plan for myself. So I looked at all the people who were doing it got all of their key points and just really listed it so I could drive it back home to myself why this is good and why I'm doing it and then use a bit of willpower and making sure you have things that will help you along the way. So coffee in the morning is great for suppressing your appetite. There's a few other things you can add. So cayenne pepper is also a good one if you want to add that to your coffee. That's also a bit of an appetite suppressant. And then if you other things, like if you drink lots of water, as long as you distract yourself as well and if you just remove food from the equation, so just don't take the food anywhere near you, then it's much easier just to control yourself. If it's sitting there and you're looking at it, you're going to be much more tempted to try it. So just the balance of those things is what I did. It took me a little bit of time to do it though. The first couple of weeks I kept slipping and I'd find myself, oh, why did I just eat that? I thought I was fasting just because I was bored or stressed or something like that. So it's a bit of a learning curve. Yeah. I always suggest it to people don't start with it every single day. It might be here to bring it in maybe like Monday, Wednesday, Friday type of idea. Just because if you start too strict, you're not going to stick to it, right? So it's kind of easing into it. You have to somewhat train your body as well because you might, if you're used to eating every like three times a day, like the standard diet, you're used to that. So that's your routine. So it becomes harder to change it. It's always better, like most things, even with training, it's better to ease into a new thing. So instead of going 18 hours first day every day, better to do like 12 hours and then maybe 13 like a day later skip a couple of days and then maybe 15 16 just you can ease into it yeah exactly and the cravings do go away like once you're in the intermittent fasting cycle you don't wake up hungry you just don't like there's no i don't even know how to describe it you just get so used to only eating later on in the day it becomes just part of your routine so you just it doesn't become something you have to consciously do you just do it it's like Oh, I just wake up and I just I don't eat in the morning. I just plan. I have the coffee and that's it. Like it just becomes your routine, your, your standard. Yeah, and it saves time and money, right? Because you are now eating one less meal every day or whenever you do it. So in the morning before work or school, whatever you're doing, you have way more time now. You don't have to prepare food. Yeah, that was one of the benefits I didn't even think about or consider. That I just had more time in the morning. I was less stressed because I had one less thing to do. I just had more time and I was better set up for the day as well. I could do everything else I wanted to do, meditate, prepare myself. I wasn't running as late or as rushed as I normally was. So that was another added benefit to it. Yeah, exactly. And I also suggest to people, don't try it if you don't have a healthy relationship with food. I think you have to be in a very conscious and like calm state and happy with your body and yourself in order to bring it in. Because otherwise people can kind of abuse it and use it as a tool for weight loss or like extreme weight loss or, and it ties so much emotion to it. So I agree. It, it is incredibly helpful for weight loss and maintaining a healthy like body mass and muscle mass and things like that. But at the same time, if it's such a challenge, then people are likely to abuse it as well. So they will fast, but then they'll just gorge afterwards and kind of 
defeats the purpose a little bit as well. So something like you were saying, it's being being conscious and being in a good place with food. It would probably be, from my point of view, much better to get your diet to a healthier point before you brought in the fasting and then gradually transition it in. Yeah, absolutely. And fasting isn't for everybody, especially for females. And I always say this online is like, be really careful with your hormones and your menstrual cycle because it can really screw you up. Exactly the same with keto. If you go too low carb, it can mess up your hormones. So play with it and figure out what works for you. With your nootropics, do you take them in the morning when you're fasting on an empty stomach? I take some of them when I'm fasting on an empty stomach. So I'll generally have my coffee and put in some L-theanine, some rhodiola, a bit of curcumin, which is just turmeric extract, and a few other things depending on what I'm doing the day on that day. But I understand that they may be breaking the fast a little bit, but there's been a lot of research out there saying that it's generally the anabolic effect you get from the calories that breaks the fast. So I'm not too concerned. Occasionally I have days where I put nothing in there just so I can hedge my bets. So if you're looking for the autophagy autophagy effects, yeah, then ideally you wouldn't want anything in there, but it's a balance. I mean, I'm looking mostly for the mental effects at the moment, but I'll transition it and switch it up so I get a bit of everything, cover all my bases. Yeah. I know with some ingredients though, like taking them on an empty stomach isn't recommended. So like I've taken B vitamins before on an empty stomach and I actually get like not like nauseous from it. So there are things that you do want to take with food, but I'm thinking that most things will say that on the actual like supplement bottle. That's an interesting thing. There's a lot of misinformation and confusing, conflicting information in supplement space. But for the most part, most of them either, yes, do need to be taken with food to be absorbed or not taken with food. And that's what you can split up. So the ones I probably should have mentioned that, the ones I generally put in the coffee are the ones that don't really need to be taken with food. So like your L-theanine and your rhodiola, they can be fat soluble. So if you put a little bit of MCT oil, you make it into like a bulletproof coffee with butter in, then that can help it. But you're right. So if you're taking B vitamins, especially if it's for you, if it causes stomach ache, then that's something you need to be aware of as well. It's a lot of the personal effect, how it works. But that's the learning curve as well. So the general advice would be, yes, you need to look it up, find out what needs to be taken with food, but also what does your body respond to? Yeah, exactly. And that's just a part of biohacking, right? Is like the idea of experimenting, quantified self, what works for me, what doesn't work for me and adjusting it. So I also know that you do a 24 hour fast, like once a week. Yeah. So every Monday I do that. That's 50% for the discipline aspect, just to like push myself to something slightly out of my comfort zone so I can get better at using my willpower, using my, uh, my mind to make me do things. And also for the autophagy effects as well. So it's a good idea. There's a lot of research out there supporting occasional, so restricted eating windows, so intermittent fasting and extended fasting. So I try and incorporate that in once a week into my diet and then generally intermittent fast most other days. But that is again, semi-flexible. I'm not too rigid on that. Depends what I'm doing. I'm not going to skip out and having an awesome meal with friends or something just because of that, I'll just tie that back into my week and maybe extend the fast on the next day just to counteract that. Yeah. So do you do like dinner to dinner or how do you do it? So I normally have my dinner at say 5, 5.30. I'll fast through, I'll generally exercise as well just before I break the fast and then break the fast at dinner again, have a, a massive feast. It's always good to be able to eat lots of food. Yeah, that's awesome. And then that meal that you have that is breaking the fast is still low carb, high fat? Yeah, so it's generally a mix of everything. I like to break it a little bit. I normally break it so it's an extended meal, so it's over the course of maybe an hour. So I'll start breaking it with a bit of 
fats, maybe a little bit of protein, and then bring in the main meal, so the carbs as well. I do generally, if I've exercised as well, make sure I get a fair bit of carbs in just to help the recovery. But yeah, it's one of those breaking the fast. It's 24 hours generally isn't long enough to require seriously planning how to break the fast. But I always find it makes me feel better if I have a little bit of a lighter, high-fat, bit of protein meal, and then most of the carbs and the rest of the meal afterwards, maybe an hour later. Yeah, that makes sense. So what benefits do you see from doing this 24-hour fast? Interestingly enough, whenever I do the 24-hour fast, that's when I'm strongest if I do weight training, which has confused me the first few times. I thought it was a fluke when that was happening, and then it kept happening. I'm like, there's, there's something to this, which is interesting. So yeah, if I'm trying to do like a particularly intense workout session, then I always try and add that on to the end of the fast just because I'll be strongest and most able to do it. But I've also noticed that focus throughout the day, which is the same as the intermittent fasting, but for a whole day. It's interesting how that works, but that's something that I know a lot of people notice and there's a lot of evidence around it for the ketone bodies as well, just helping you fuel your mind and be more switched on. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So do you plan your heaviest weights for that 24-hour fast at the end of the week or start of the week the next day? Yeah, so at the end of the fast on that day is when I plan like the heaviest. So I normally do all the big ones like the deadlifts and the bench press and squats and things on that day. Wow, that's wild. <laughs> I thought that'd be a terrible approach the first time I tried it. I really just tried it on a whim. I'm like, oh, I'll see how I go. And I was like, wow, that was easier than it normally is. That's crazy. You would not think that. Yeah, I know. I've also heard from a few of the people in the space, so like the Ben Greenfields, that that is a good approach as well. It's something that they recommend. I didn't actually know that until I, I didn't know that while I was doing it until I found that afterwards. But that's interesting that it's not just myself. There's a few other people who have realized that as well. Yeah. And then like when you're intermittent fasting every day in the morning, do you do your workouts then as well? Like your yoga and the other things that you do? No. So I don't do my main exercise in the morning. Whenever I wake up, I do like to do a bit of exercise. So I normally do maybe some whatever in the morning. So jumping, a few push-ups, maybe some skipping, burpees, things like that, just really to wake the body up and get us get going and a bit of stretching. And then I use the main workout again, just before I break my intermittent fast at the end of the day. So I'll work out maybe three o'clock and then break the fast at about three or maybe about four when I finished, something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. So in addition to your pretty cool and effective exercise routine and your fasting and the way that you eat and your nootropics, I feel like you're just like such a well-rounded biohacker, but <laughs> like what other types of things do you dabble in in the biohacking world? So I like to try and explore something new every couple of weeks. So my next thing is I'm looking to get an ice bath that I can use every day, but I don't actually have one at the moment. So I'm looking to set that up. But on generally, I do a lot of the things for mindset. I found that's one of the areas that has had the most effect for me. So meditation, trying a lot of the other things. So gratitude practices, that's been very helpful for me. I, I thought it was a little bit of hooty woody kind of wild stuff. Gratitude <laughs> just made me much happier and calmer and able to deal with situations that I'd normally be a bit more reactive to. So that's one of the things I do. I'm also trying the red light therapy. So I bought an infrared thing just to try and fix my knee at the moment. <laughs> I tore a tendon while skiing a year ago and I'm using the infrared lights to try and fix that, which seems to be going all right so far. And generally trying to do other things. So like looking at hyperbaric oxygen chamber in a week or two for a couple of sessions to see how that goes and just exploring things, trying things. That's a lot. <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like biohacking is such a slippery slope like that. Like you start doing one thing and then you're doing all these sorts of things. But for the meditation, what does your meditation practice look like? 
Yeah, so mine has changed quite a lot since I started. So I started originally with mindfulness and I've been kind of building my own approach. I'm not sure if you've seen the six phase one by Vision Lahiani. That's the basis of mine. So I generally start with a couple of minutes of mindfulness, just centering myself, calming down, and then add in some gratitude practices and a bit of affirmations. So kind of visualizing as well, visualization of what I want to do in the future, trying to get myself in the mindset of what would I need to do to be that person and achieve that? And then finishing up with gratitude to put yourself in a really like happy and like loving mindset for the rest of the day. So I find that sets me up in a good mood. So everything I do after that is like a snowball effect. So if I start the day in a good mood, then it kind of snowballs and everything I do reinforces that mood and keeps going, gets better and better. I've realized if I don't do meditating in the morning, sometimes I'm snappier and less able to like deal with situations calmly and effectively. Yeah. I find meditation creates space between what happens and how you react to what happens to you. And whenever I fall off the wagon of meditating, I'm way more reactive and almost just more emotional, I think. Mm -hmm. And kind of just like, yeah, like less in control. I don't know. No, I 100% agree. One of the biggest benefits I've realized is that, like you were saying, it helps you realize there's a space between something that triggers you and your reaction that when you can become more aware of that, you can not react so emotionally, but more centered and more accurate and more truly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So do you have any advice to people who are looking to start a meditation practice, but they just don't really know, or they feel like it's a chore and something that they have to do and there's no like real motivation there? That was my hardest part of the start it's something that you don't directly or immediately see the benefits of so my advice would be to start learning how to do it properly so maybe start with some guided meditations just so you can get the whole idea of it and then practice from there if you have the the funds and the availability it would be very helpful to turbocharge it getting an eeg system so like a muse to headband which will just read your you read your brain waves and tell you whether you're in the brainwave frequency which is associated with being relaxed that's just a way that you can learn how your thought process can influence your actual mindset. That's something that would be incredibly powerful to learn if you're doing it right at the start. Something I wish I'd had at the start as well and knew about. Yeah. And then just scheduling and making sure you, you like stick to the schedule and do it every day or whenever your schedule is. Yeah. Guided meditations were definitely a turning point for me. There's a whole bunch of apps that are free. Yeah. That have them. I've even found guided meditations on Spotify and there's like playlists of them. And there's just these hundreds on YouTube as well. They're all over the place, but it's really about finding the ones that resonate with you and work with you. If you think it's a load of crap and it's not going to work, then you're not going to do it properly anyway. So there's there's so many different ways to do it. There's no really right way to do it. It's whatever works for you. Yeah. Just got to look out there, explore and try things. I've used a lot of the apps as well. I started using meditation ones, the guided ones. I don't really use them anymore, maybe occasionally, but it's a great way to start and get into it. Exactly. Yeah. For me, it's the way that I stick to it is by putting a very small time limit on it. So only five minutes a day. And then if you think about a five minute commitment, it's like nothing. So it's very easy to stick to. And then I also do it before I go to sleep because I can have really bad like sleep issues. So Mm -hmm. if I put on a guided sleep meditation, which can be as long as like 15, 20 minutes, that really, really helps me. And like, I see the benefit more in that. So then I stick to the practice more. Yeah, that's the thing. If you can find ways that you can see the benefit, that's the best way to reinforce it to yourself that it works. 
So again, like you were saying, trying different things like that. I haven't tried that much meditation before sleep, but I generally haven't had problems falling asleep. But mm. it's something that, yeah, especially if you have problems falling asleep with insomnia, then it's a great thing to try. I've heard a lot of people having a lot of success with that. Yeah, for me, it's not really, it's not always falling asleep. It's more like I wake up throughout the night. So mm. I have an aura ring that obviously tracks you know, yeah yeah, my, yeah, yeah, my HRV and my heart rate, my REM sleep, my deep sleep. And my REM sleep is amazing. I dream like a freaking motherfucker. Like I, <laughs> I dream like crazy, but my, my deep sleep is my issue. So I'm currently trying to hack that quote unquote and figure that mm. out, but it's, it's difficult. So is your sleep like optimal or? My sleep is it's interesting at the moment. I've had the aura ring for a couple of months and I've realized a few trends, but there's a lot of randomness and variability that I'm still working out as well. So I've realized that if I'm stressed, then it's just all over the place. There's not really any like defining an obvious way that it'll skew if I'm too stressed, but that's something again that I need to manage. So I generally try and manage that by calming down, turning off all electronics about an hour before bed, generally taking some calming music or something or reading, taking some of the some of the supplements I take for sleep would be magnesium often. I have tried Phenobit, but that just knocks you out. I haven't had much success with that, which is interesting. Some people absolutely love it. And other things along the lines of CBD oil, but that really, for me, kind of ruins my sleep more than anything else, which is interesting. People love it. And I was like, I can't do it. It destroys my deep sleep and my REM sleep. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've had success with magnesium for sure. Definitely will take a lot of it before I go to bed. I'm similar though, like I try and really calm down before I go to bed. So reading in bed for an hour before I actually turn the lights off, dimming the lights. And what I'm playing with right now is not showering or having any sort of like hot therapy or like a hot bath or anything like a few hours beforehand, because I find that my body temperature takes longer to go to like cool down and it actually mm. affects how long it takes me to fall asleep and stay asleep. So it's almost better if I only like shower in the morning and then have no heat at nighttime so that I go to bed and I get cold and I fall asleep really fast. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Another thing that I've tried and people always talk about being very helpful is having a cold shower, maybe half an hour before you go to bed, just so you can trick your body into the drop in body temperature, which is one of the things that starts the sleep cycle. Yeah. So that's, that's another thing that can be incredibly helpful. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I also try not eat before I go to bed or like not yeah. eat a few hours before bed. And that definitely helps with deep sleep. I've heard some interesting things with that. I generally do have my like eat at five and then go to bed at about 10 for that reason. But I've had a couple of instances where I've eaten later and then my sleep's just been incredible or absolutely destroyed, <laughs> which is interesting. So I'm, I'm trying to work out whether it's what I ate or other factors influencing it. You know what? I'd probably say it's what you ate because- probably. I find that like if I have, like last night, I had coconut ice cream before I went to bed, like mm -hmm. an hour before I went to bed. And you can just mm -hmm. see with my heart rate how it took so much longer to drop last night than if I stop eating a couple hours before I go to sleep and I'm eating like a whole nourished meal, whatever. That's not ice cream. <laughs> and then my heart rate does so much better that night and drops when it's supposed to. My HRV is better. So mm. I think it is what you eat, you know, if there's sugar, if it's high carb, but obviously you yeah. watch your carbs pretty well. So 
Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I'm, I'm still looking at that. I'm gonna. That's my next thing to test as well. Is just start eating a little bit of maybe some fats an hour before bed, or eating some carbs an hour before bed, just to see what effect it has on me. Yeah, some people swear by like a teaspoon of honey before they go to sleep, just to help with like blood sugar irregularities throughout the night, and then preventing them from not waking up. But like, have you tried that? Because I haven't tried that yet. I haven't tried that, but I my only concern with that is taking honey or something high carb would spike the blood sugar and then drop it down. So I feel like that would make it worse, but that's, that's kind of why I like to eat earlier. So it can have the spike from the meal and then come back to a steady level before you go to sleep. But I haven't tried that myself. I'd love to actually give it a go. Another thing I'm looking at trying is getting a continuous glucose monitor as well. So I can actually get the data and see how this affects me. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have a ketone or glucose reader that you use? Like if you prick your finger or anything like that? I don't. I haven't been that concerned about the ketone levels as such. I more go by the feel of how I'm feeling in my body at the moment. But that's something I'm I'm looking into. I will get a hold of eventually. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I have one. And it's interesting to measure your ketones when you wake up in the morning and Mm -hmm. right before you eat a few hours later. And especially if you, you know, keep a journal of what you ate the night before and like start Mm -hmm. tracking all these things, it's pretty interesting to see how it all kind of fits together. My only uh, hesitation with that is I find myself doing too many things at once and then not knowing what has caused the effect. So that's why I'm holding off on that at the moment. I'm trying to find out what else works first. And then once I've got that steady, so like the diet and the the supplements for sleep, I will start looking at the ketones and playing with that as well. But yeah, if I have too many things on the go at once, it's hard to really know what's caused the effect and what hasn't and how it relates. Yeah, exactly. So you can only change so many factors at one point. And it's also just like starting with the low hanging fruit, right? Like working on the big foundational things before bringing in like all these different technologies and testing kits and different things. Like it's cool, but it's not really needed. Yeah. I find a lot of people get caught up in doing the minor things. So they'll have their diet will be out of whack. Their sleep schedule will be out of whack and they'll try and fix it all just by taking a supplement before they go to sleep. When really all they're doing is focusing on the minor things. I like the analogy. It's like, it's like running a a training for a marathon with a broken leg and then trying to train instead of addressing the broken leg, like you're going to make some progress, but you're not addressing the major thing, which is holding your back. So it could be your diet or you're not exercising, things like that. So it's understanding what really has the effect and what doesn't that people need to get on top of, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. And you see it a lot in the pharmaceutical world of popping a pill to suppress this symptom, but you also see it in the natural health world as well, right? Like Mm -hmm. people who drink celery juice when they wake up in the morning right? Which was like such a fad or is such a fad still, but they're eating shitty food for the rest of the day and they're not exercising and they're stressed and they're not moving and they're not sleeping properly, but they have celery juice in the morning. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, it's just a band-aid solution without actually looking at the root cause of the problem, whether it's a natural solution or, or not, it's not the right approach. It's interesting. Everything's connected. The body's a holistic approach. So if you're not addressing nutrition, your exercise, your sleep, your mindset, and everything along those lines, then optimizing a single one of those things isn't going to solve all your problems. You need to be looking at all of them to a certain extent. Yeah, exactly. And that's where biohacking comes in, right? It's a holistic approach, including Mm -hmm. mind, spirit, and body in all the different ways that it can 
it can be. Thank you so much for coming on and just like talking about your nootropics and your experience with it and your fasting and everything. I feel like you just have so much to offer and I will put all of your information in the show notes about your products that are coming out and I'm excited to see what you guys come out with. Yeah, well, thank you very much for getting me on here. It's always good to share the information with people, help them out, because I know I'm always looking for information, trying to find people who actually have the knowledge to share. So it's always good to try and share at least what I know with people as well, help them out when I can. Yeah, you definitely have a lot of experience that's relatable and a lot coming down the pipeline, and I'm excited to see what you produce. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And as always, let me know what else, if anything, I can help with. Awesome. Okay, thank you. Such a cool episode with Daniel. I love talking to him about nootropics. He knows a lot and definitely reach out to him if you have any specific questions and check out his brand called Neurotech. It'll be linked below. I've tried them, his nootropics, and they're great. And you should definitely give them a go if you're looking for a boost at work or school because they definitely do make a difference in productivity and just like the amount of stuff you can get done in a short amount of time and increasing memory and concentration and all sorts of things. So take a look and I hope you love this episode and I look forward to having you with me next week.